The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 505th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I'm your host, Diane. And this is Kelly. Kelly, on this episode, we are doing a topic that was inspired from one of the Zoom calls we did with our listeners. Dan had joined us on there and he said, have you guys done any place in Nebraska? And I was like, well, I know over in Omaha, we did like Fort Omaha. But you know, we really don't have a lot of stuff that we've done in Nebraska. So I'm like, you know what? We should probably check out Nebraska. And so this is going to feature the capital of Nebraska, Lincoln. And some people might think, well, how creepy could Nebraska be? All I have to say is children of the corn. (laughs) This is true. Before we get into sharing the history and haunts of Lincoln, we want to welcome into the spectacular crew, Kirsty, Carl, April, and Clarence. Thank you so much for joining our Facebook group. And now this moment, Noddity. The moment in oddity was suggested by Janae McCabe. When most people visualize a shark in their mind, the picture imagined is typically a large toothy fish that many of us would not like to encounter while swimming in the ocean. With over 500 species of sharks in the world, there are quite a few variations, ranging from dwarf lantern sharks, measuring at around 7 inches, to the whale shark, which can be 60 feet in length. Although the whale shark feeds on plankton, its mouth can measure up to 4 feet wide. One species of shark is rather unique in its feeding habits. This is the cookie cutter shark. Now, this guy isn't blue in color, nor does he say om nom 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 while he eats cookies. But the size and sh- love cookie monster. <laughs> but the size and shape of his meals are reminiscent of the treats many of us keep hidden in the pantry. I'm looking at you, Diane. Who? Me? No, I hate cookies. <laughs> The creature typically measures between one and a half to two feet in length and can be found in warm ocean waters, usually around islands. They are long and cylindrical with a blunt nose and large eyes. What is most unique about them, however, is their mouth. They utilize their suction-type lips to attach themselves to the bodies of their meal tickets and then use their lower teeth to extract a circular-shaped chunk of flesh. Yummer. Kind of like those protein cookies, right, Diane? (laughs) There definitely would be some protein in there. The cookie cutter sharks are known to sometimes travel in schools, 
and although there have been recorded bites on humans, they are not considered a threat to us. There has even been recorded evidence of the species leaving its cookie-cutter calling card on submarines and undersea cables. There are many mysterious creatures in the ocean's depths, but a shark that creates cookie-carved craters in its meals of choice certainly is odd. Scared yet? Boo! <laughs> and now, this month in history. month of September on the 8th in 1977, the first Chia Pet was created. Today, most of us are familiar with the Quirky Gifts commercial jingle, Ch-Ch-Chia. Joseph Padet came upon the unusual items at a Chicago housewares trade show. They were imported by Walter Houston from Oaxaca, Mexico, and they sprouted the marketing ideas of Padet. Once the rights were negotiated from Houston and trademarked in October 1977, Padet San Francisco company, Joseph Enterprises, Inc., began production. Chia Pet's popularity rose through the 1980s, and by the year 2000, there was even one placed inside the New York Times time capsule, which is set to be opened in the year 3000. Over the years, there have been many variations of the original Chia Pet with different animals, cartoon characters, and even some modeled after real people like painter Bob Ross. The original type of seeds used on the Chia Head back in 1977 are still the ones being marketed with the product today. The microgreens are edible and provide nutrients and antioxidants when added to salads or sandwiches. The chia greens are said to have a nutty, somewhat spicy flavor. There are many fad gifts that come and go, but the chia pet is one that has continued on for 46 years. Lincoln, Nebraska is the home of the Cornhuskers and is also the state's capital city. The sower stands atop the tower of the Capitol building, preparing to toss some seats to businesses and neighborhoods below. Some refer to the area as flyover country and describe the landscape as boring. But for us, if you throw ghosts in the mix, a city becomes suddenly exciting. And a quick drive through the nearby rural areas certainly inspires visions of children of the corn. Join us as we share the history and hauntings of Lincoln, Nebraska. Kelly, this is why haunted history is so important, because there are some places that you would just be like, the history here is boring, or this topic is boring, or that building isn't very exciting. The architecture is not distinctive. But then when you bring in the seedy side of history or the spooky side of history, then stuff becomes a lot more interesting. Absolutely. And that's kind of how I felt about Lincoln. I mean, Lincoln is not a place that you would put on your list for That's something I have to check out on a visit. I suppose. The 1984 film Children of the Corn was set in a fictitious town in Nebraska. 
Nebraska and cornfields are synonymous. Agriculture always has been a key part of the state. Indigenous people had been here since at least 8,000 B.C. In the 19th century, the Plains Indians lived near and hunted around Salt Creek, which is near the modern-day city of Lincoln. The salt here was very important to them and to future settlers who eventually came to extract salt from the wild salt flats of the creek. As you can imagine, the only way they had of preserving food before all of our modern-day conveniences was salt. Sure. So this is how important it was. It's very important in your diet as well, but that was the only way they could preserve that food. And, you know, if you're going through a winter, you're going to need to preserve food. And it always makes me wonder, how did the native people figure out that salt would dry out the food and keep it for you? It's just like any time you see people eating something like jicama, who was the first person to eat some jicama (laughs) and say, oh, that was kind of good. I love jicama. And then, you know, there's poisonous stuff, too. So did somebody try something that was poisonous, like that mushroom and oop, they died? Don't eat that? You know, I think a lot of it came from watching animals, Mm. what they would consume. I guess that's a good point. Animals are so much smarter than we are. Westward expansion brought more pioneers to live. The Nebraska Territory was created by the Nebraska-Kansas Act that was signed into law by President Franklin Pierce in 1854. A village was founded in 1856 and named Lancaster. And when Nebraska was granted statehood in 1867, Lancaster became the capital of Nebraska. A lot of people might think, well, Omaha, shouldn't that be? Because it's a bigger city and... There actually was a bit of a fight between the two, and Lincoln was the winner. The village of Lancaster would become Lincoln, named after Abraham Lincoln. Lincoln was incorporated in 1869, with a Capitol building being built a year previously. And that is our first haunted location in the Star City, the Capitol building. Nebraska has had three Capitol buildings. The first was designed by Chicago architect John Morris in 1867, but the limestone used to construct the building started deteriorating almost immediately. The second capital was completed in 1888 and was designed by William H. Wilcox and was done in the Renaissance Revival style. After a couple of decades, this building began to suffer structural issues. The current capital is hard to miss with its gold-capped domed central tower that rises 400 feet high above the other buildings around it. There is actually a rule that no building can be built in Lincoln that is taller than the capital. Can you imagine a capital city and nothing is higher than that capital so you don't have all these skyscrapers that would be looming over it? I can understand them wanting it to be prominent and the center of attention. It's very, very different. (laughs) This is the second highest capital in America, with Louisiana's capital beating it out by 50 feet. I've never been to the capital in Louisiana. I had no idea that they had a tower, too, and that it was that much taller. Right. What is interesting is I've always thought that most capitals look like the Washington, D.C. one, like the one in Denver looks very much that way. And we have the gold cap dome as well. People actually used to sit underneath it. And they would catch the gold, come the, like the gold would flake off when it would rain really hard. Oh, my god! And they would be down in the gutter system trying to get the gold from the top of the capital. Wow. Anyway, when I moved here to Florida, I went to Tallahassee with my folks and we visited the state capital there. And the original capital is kind of a regular looking capital, but the main part of it is just looks like a high skyscraper. And I thought, that is so weird. Why would you have a capital like that? And now look, we have these other two capitals that are way bigger and taller than the one that's here. The capital is located on the southern edge of downtown Lincoln at the intersections of 15th and K Street. 
The Nebraska legislature is unique in that it is unicameral, which means there's only one house or assembly that votes as one. It is the only one like that in the United States. I had no idea. Usually you have your house and your Senate and they kind of right. go back and forth and fight with each other, but they just have the one. Interesting. The offices for the legislature are housed in the square base of the tower. The design of the building reflects three styles, Art Deco, Neo-Byzantine, and Gothic Revival. The building is a work of art, like most state capitals, with vaulted polychrome tile ceilings, marble mosaic floors, murals, stone carvings, and a 19-foot bronze figure atop the dome called the Sower. New Yorker Bertram Grosvenor Goodhue was a classically trained architect who began his career in 1884. He specialized in Gothic styling imbued with modern iconography. He entered the competition for the designing of the third Nebraska state capitol, and he won. So since he's from New York, you can see this was a national competition. This would be the pinnacle of his career. Construction began in 1922 and was finished in 1932, and Indiana limestone was the material used. And finally, they got something that worked. I can't imagine you're like, you put up one capital and it just starts to crumble almost immediately. Then you put up another one and it starts to fall apart. It's like, okay, this last one is going to have to last. Professor of Philosophy Hartley Burr Alexander came up with the inscriptions for the interior and exterior of the building. The inscription over the main entrance was inspired by his father and reads, The salvation of the state is watchfulness in the citizen. I love that. I love it too. That's very, very key. Yep. Other inscriptions were drawn from philosophers, plain Indian lore from the Navajo, Pawnee, and Sioux, and his life experiences. Tiles and mosaics on the floors and ceilings of the Capitol were done by artist Hildreth Muir. This artwork tells the story of Nebraska's place and civilization, and Hildreth proclaimed them her crowning achievement. Architectural sculptor Lee Lowry designed the exterior sculptures of the building, which showcased his unique style. Lowry liked to make his figures part of the building rather than separate and freestanding. You know, a lot of the time you see these sculptures that are just kind of stuck on. His are more like carved into the building and that kind of thing. Nice. So you can see this really was a work of art and all these people were saying this was the best I ever did. So they really poured their heart and soul into making this capital. The haunting here is connected to someone falling and who that person is depends on who's telling the story. Some claim a workman was changing a light bulb when he fell to his death. Others claim a workman had a heart attack and fell while putting up Christmas lights on the dome. And still others say that a visitor to the building fell over the dome's spiral staircase railing. Whatever is the cause, the apparition of a person falling and screaming has been seen many times. The basement may be haunted as well. It's a dark and dank place where few venture. This sits in the footprint of the former Capitol building, but even before that, the Native Americans considered this a sacred center. Some of their spirits are thought to lurk here. On to our next haunted building here. This is the C.C. White Building. Probably the most well-known ghost story in Lincoln is connected to the C.C. White Building that was part of the Wesleyan University campus. That building was demolished in 1973. It was built in 1906 and was named for a leading Methodist in the city. This held the Conservatory of Music and the rest of the music department. The ghost story here is connected to a woman who worked in the music department at the school. Her name was Urania Clara Mills, and she taught piano and ear training, which is a music theory where musicians learn to identify chords, rhythms, pitches, and other elements of music just by listening. This is how our brother-in-law learned how to play his guitar and drums and stuff. Is He just does it by ear. I'm like, how do you do that? That's how I started out with music as well. Wow, that's amazing <laughs> to me. My keyboard. Yeah, it definitely means you have a talent for that because I, I would never be able to do that. 
Tragically, her life came to an end in 1940. She was found dead in her office on April 12, 1940, of an apparent heart attack. Some claimed she died of fright. Whatever caused her death, her spirit remains at the school and was first reported in October of 1963. Professor Dr. Sam Dahl's secretary, Colleen Buderbaugh, was sent to find a guest lecturer who had wandered off. She was on the second floor of the C.C. White Building and had entered an office suite that once belonged to Clara Mills at the North End when she detected a strong musty odor. The air was stale and she felt as though she wasn't alone. The noisy hall outside had gotten strangely quiet. This all struck her as weird since all the windows in the room were open. She recalled what happened next, saying... I looked up, and just for what must have been a few seconds, I saw the figure of a woman standing with her back to me at a cabinet in the inner office. She was reaching up into one of the drawers. I felt the presence of a man sitting at the desk to my left, but as I turned around, there was no one there. The apparition of the woman was tall and had black hair up in a bun. She was wearing a brown skirt. Even stranger than that, Buterbaugh noticed that the view outside the windows of the office was quite different, as though it was from a different time era. Willard's sorority, which was right across the campus, wasn't there. There were no streets. Buterbaugh ran from the room, quite disturbed. A little bit of a time slip, it sounds like. That's what it sounds like to me, especially since she felt the presence of a man but didn't see anything. She told her boss, Dr. Dahl, about the experience, and she was so shaken that he believed her and took her to other staff members to tell the story. One of the other professors had an old yearbook that they pulled out, and Buterbaugh identified Miss Mills as the spirit. Buterbaugh eventually quit and even moved from Lincoln, but that isn't where this strange story ends. The visiting lecturer was a man named Thomas McCourt, who had come over from Scotland. He had heard Buterbaugh's story and told her he was very familiar with ghosts, since Scotland had so many stories about them. He returned home, and the following April, on the 12th, he was found dead in his office in Scotland. Just like Clara Mills, same circumstances and same date. Psychics have claimed that Mills is indeed in the building, and while many of them also feel the strong presence of a male ghost, none of them have been able to identify him, and he's never been seen visually. Which makes you wonder, is it like that part of the building's locked into some kind of a time capsule or something? Could be. There were many paranormal incidents in the building. Music students had trouble with amplifiers and broadcast equipment, mainly with volume control. One student decided to catch the culprit by spreading baby powder around the equipment. When he returned, he found that the sound equipment had been turned down, but there were no footprints in the powder. Lights turned themselves on in the middle of the night, and disembodied footsteps were heard in the hallway, especially on the second floor. Piano music was heard coming from a small theater in the basement, and it stopped abruptly when someone entered. Faint disembodied laughter was heard, and cold spots were felt. What's interesting about that student using the baby powder around the equipment is that was like an early ghost hunting technique. Right. But they would get footprints yeah. and be like, <laughs> where did those come from? Especially if they're, you know, bare footprints and they're all like, we're wearing shoes. Who walked through that? So the fact that this equipment had been touched and there were no footprints, even with ghostly activity is like, wow, that's weird. Definitely somebody just floating. And now a little break for a word about one of our sponsors. In Puerto Rico, we call ourselves Boricua. We are proud, passionate, and full of life. On our island, adventure finds you. Strangers aren't strangers for long. The size of the audience doesn't change the beauty of the music. And we celebrate every last ray of sun. 
The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. The administration building that was built to replace the C.C. White building hasn't reported any activity. But Miss Mills still seems to be on the campus and has even been spotted outside her former apartment. That happened on an April evening in 1985 when a tall woman in a brown skirt with her black hair in a bun was seen walking past the front of the building. A young girl saw what she described as a woman in an old-fashioned dress standing outside of the Vance Rogers Art Center on campus. She actually tried to talk to the woman who didn't respond to her, when the young girl brought her mother to see the woman, she was gone. The young girl seemed quite scared of the area and wouldn't return to the area unless accompanied by someone. I have to think not a lot of time had passed because, you know, maybe that person just kind of wandered off. <laughs> right. She must have she had got a weird her mom feeling. and she was gone. Well, it had to have been pretty immediate. And it makes me wonder, what was the conversation they were having? Was it yeah. something that scared her? So she's like, I'm going to go get my mom. Stranger danger. Next up, we have Antelope Park. Antelope Park covers 92 acres and features a strolling garden, the Sunken Gardens, Veterans Memorial Garden, Haman Rose Garden, Elks Baseball Field, Arger Golf Course, the Rock Island Trail, Billy Wolf Trail, and rental facilities. The park was founded in 1905 on 31 acres, but grew through the years due to land donations from residents, one of whom was William Jennings Bryan. Lincoln banker W.T. Ald gave 15 acres, and in thanks, the Lincoln Parks and Recreation Department created a stone gateway to Antelope Park and the Ald Pavilion in the 1920s. Ald's Pavilion remains a premier ballroom dance hall. The field behind the caretaker's house at Antelope Park is said to harbor spirits that walk across the field and disappear into the woods on the other side. Two teenagers were walking through the park one chilly evening when they saw the figure of a woman. She was running, but her feet weren't on the ground. She was about 20 yards away from them, but they could see her because she gave off a faint glow, then just disappeared. And now we have Robber's Cave. Robber's Cave is Lincoln's oldest tourist attraction. This is a 5,000 square foot cavern formed out of the Dakota brown sandstone by groundwater. There are many stories and uses connected to the cave. A brewery operated in the cave starting in 1869, but folded four years later. Some claim that this was a place of refuge for Jesse James in 1874, although no evidence of that has ever been found. It is the tales of criminals hiding out here that inspired the name. A structure that once existed above the cave was thought to be a brothel. Excavations were done in order to build a mushroom garden in the cave in 1906. Today, Blue Blood Brewing sits atop the cave and offers tours of the cave. We must go. Yes, <laughs> have a beer and walk around in a cave. And it's a really cool looking cave. I mean, the way that it's been carved out, it's really neat. It's very unique because we've been in, you know, a lot of caves and stuff. I've never seen one like this one. There are also several spaces here for events like weddings. Very nice. People who tour the cave find many names and designs carved into the walls. There is Fat Man's Misery, which is a narrow opening between walls, so people have to turn sideways and scrape through to get to the next room. <laughs> <I love that. laughs> 
Don't get stuck. What a name. A small crevice that twists and widens back on itself is called the question mark. There is also the chamber dubbed Robber's Roost, which is a square-shaped room with a thick blanket of powdery red sand on the floor. This was where people claimed the bad guys would hide out. There are those who think this might have been a spot on the Underground Railroad, too. The sounds of Native American drums and chants have been heard in the cave. Disembodied voices and whispers are common. And there are even sometimes screams. And next we have Lake Street Lake. Lake Street Lake is located in Rudge Memorial Park, a neighborhood park next to Bryan West Hospital. This was named for former prominent Lincoln residents Charles and Carolyn Rudge. They had co-owned the Rudge and Gwenzel department store. The park was originally named Harrison Street Lake and Park, but even before that, this was a farmstead where dairy cows were raised. Town folks would ice skate on the lake here at that time, too. One day, a group of boys ganged up on another boy and started bullying him. He fought back and ended up stabbed and bleeding on the icy pond. The lake was eventually drained and all that remains of the former farm is a tree. That tree gives people a creepy feeling. On cold winter nights, the ghostly form of a boy is seen skating where the lake had once been. And when fog covers the area, dark shapes are seen. And next we have Penfield. Penfield is located just south of the Nebraska State Penitentiary, which is the oldest state correctional facility in Nebraska, having opened in 1869. The field is located on the north side of a road that leads to Wilderness Park. In 1888, a terrible blizzard hit Lincoln, dropping the temperatures to 40 below zero. Diane would have been miserable. Absolutely. I mean, (laughs) I don't like 40 above zero. Below? Forget it. This was known as the schoolhouse blizzard and hit the entire Great Plains, leaving 235 people dead. This would be the 10th deadliest winter storm on record. There's even a reminder of an event that took place in Nebraska during the storm that is portrayed in the Nebraska State Capitol. This is a Venetian glass mural that portrays schoolteacher Minnie Freeman leading her 13 students from the schoolhouse to her home, a distance of one and a half miles. That is an amazing story. I mean, one and a half miles is a long way if you are in a blinding blizzard. Absolutely. And she got them all there safely. In Lincoln, the children were all kept at the school, but one little girl's father didn't know that, and he was worried when she didn't come home. He went out into the storm to find her. The next morning, the father's unattended horse returned to the homestead after the young girl got home. They found his body five months later. He was in the fetal position in Penfield. In the 1940s, a cruel guard who mistreated the prisoners at the penitentiary was universally hated, and one night he was murdered. His body was torn apart and some of it was never found. In the 1950s, a pale white UFO was seen hovering over Penfield. Most people claimed to get a bad feeling from the field. A high school couple parked at the field in the mid-1960s for a little make-out session. Suddenly, the girl got nervous and felt as though they weren't alone. Then there was a strong sulfur smell. A silver-blue light cut through the darkness before them and traveled past their car and through the field and then disappeared. Southwest High School now sits near the field, and many students through the years have claimed to see strange shadows cross the field. And our final location here is the Temple Theater. Ground was broken for the Temple Theater in Lincoln, Nebraska in 1904 at the corner of 12th and R Streets with the help of funds from John Rockefeller. 
The theater was designed in the Franco-Italian style with a rectangle shape and was made from brick with a red tile roof. The entrance has four Italian marble pillars across it. On the top of the pillars sits a rectangular slab of marble which is engraved with the name Temple and is the foundation for the little patio which is attached to the fourth floor. The original purpose was to serve as a theater and activity center for students at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Apparently, building a theater as part of a university at that time was controversial. Rockefeller had stipulated when gifting his money that the building had to contain a theater. People looked down on theater arts at the time, and a fight ensued. The compromise that came after two years of fighting was to locate the Temple Building just off campus. Alice Howell was the first theater director, and the first production was George Bernard Shaw's You Never Can Tell. This made UNL the fourth university in the country to have a functioning theater program. The temple underwent a major renovation in 1954. The theater now houses all theater classes as well as the administrative offices and performance spaces of the Johnny Carson School of Theater and Film and the Nebraska Repertory Theater. University Theater produces four major events and four Theatrix productions each year in the facility's three theaters, Howell, Studio, and Lab Theaters. The Howell Theater is on the first floor and has been recently renovated with 317 seats and is named for UNL Theater founder H. Alice Howell. The Studio Theater is also on the first floor and is a new state-of-the-art 160-200 to seat flexible black box theater. And the Lab Theater is a 120-200 to seat black box theater located on the third floor. Haunting state back to the construction of the theater. People claimed to see dancing lights and they heard weird noises. The lights in the theater are the most common occurrence reported. Possibilities for spirits here in the theater include a student who lost his life in the 1940s when he fell from the overhead in the main theater and succumbed to his injuries. He was performing in the Shakespeare play Macbeth, and so, reputedly, his spirit shows up during Shakespeare productions. Dallas Williams was a flamboyant professor and served as the theater department chairman from 1944 to 1971 and was known to throw chairs and... (laughs) Sorry, that tickled me. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't get away with that kind of thing nowadays, (laughs) throwing chairs at students. And was known to throw chairs and such at sleeping students. His spirit is said to still chuck chairs about. (laughs) Look out for that flying chair! There was also a construction worker who had an accident that killed him that dates back to 1906 when the theater was being built. He had been working on the theater with his father and brothers, and they watched him fall from the rafters. Shortly after that, his brothers thought they heard him calling out to them. Tools would go missing or get moved. In the 1970s, an entity was noticed in the East Basement Studios of KUON-TV, located in the Temple Building. Julie Hagmeyer, theater department general manager, said in a 2000 Daily Nebraskan article that a girl haunts the prop attic. When a show crew took apart various dolls in the prop shop to make the type of prop they needed, they left the attic messy. When the crew returned to the locked attic, someone had aligned the dolls' parts and placed the matching heads with the bodies. Oh my. (laughs) Now, haunted dolls are bad enough, but when somebody's actually haunting with the dolls, like moving them about and putting them together the way they're supposed to be, Yikes. An investigator for the Nebraska Paranormal Society named Laura reported, During our investigation of the temple building, I had the following personal experiences. Upon walking into the main theater, I noticed a change in the atmosphere. The air seemed heavier with a kind of charged energy to it. When we set up our equipment in the attic where all of the props are stored, 
things seemed very different. Almost immediately, I began to hear voices. There were no windows in the attic except the small six-by-six glass blocks in the roof. The team members in the theater below us were men. The voices I heard were that of a female, although I could not understand what she was saying. Some were louder than others. The voices were also heard on the audio recorder. The temperature in the attic was 85 degrees and very humid. Circulating air would have been welcomed, but that was not the case. I had many experiences of feeling cold chills, and we get goosebumps for no apparent reason. I had many experiences of feeling cold chills and would get goosebumps for no apparent reason. There was severe thunderstorms while we were in the attic. Rain and thunder were very strong at one point. I cannot justify the noises I heard as being someone outside, four stories down while sounds of the rain and thunder and hail was muffled. An interesting story is related in the book, A Guide to the Ghosts of Lincoln by Alan Boy. The experience was told by Tom Bell and it happened to him in 1987. It was night and he was all alone in the theater, or at least he thought so. He was practicing his tap dancing for a final. He really needed a perfect routine to pass the class. Tom finished his final step and heard a clap come from the balcony. He squinted and looked up at the balcony. The clapping continued, but he couldn't see anybody. He called out, hey, what's happening? Hopping down from the stage, Tom made his way to the back of the theater. Surely someone was playing with him. He saw no one, and when he got to the back of the theater, the clapping stopped. Then he heard tap dancing coming from the stage. He spun around and saw that the stage was empty. He ran towards the stage, and when he reached it, the tap dancing stopped. Tom never did figure out what happened that night. Apparently, a poltergeist-like ghost was having fun with him. Clearly. But what's really weird is, since it said that when he got to the back of the theater, the clapping stopped... The clapping had to have been going on the entire time after he finished his routine walking to the back. It that's... was just an appreciative spirit. Yeah. I and mean, then he wanted the... to share in, in the tap dancing. I see nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I know, but it's just amazing that it would last that long. He would be hearing it that long. And it's like, okay, there's nobody here. I think it was kind of a throwdown. He's like, uh, you know, it doesn't say how the clapping was going. Was it one of those like golf claps? Like, uh-huh. <laughs> Let me show you how it's done, son. And then he got up there and did a little routine. Oh, my. A student was in the attic and he was painting chairs, a dozen of them. He had finished the first chair and walked across the attic to retrieve another chair. When he turned around, he saw that the first chair had been moved. The student hadn't heard any sounds. And even more strange was that the wet paint was unblemished. Wow. So it wasn't like some, even if the ghost had grabbed it, they didn't leave any ghostly fingerprints. It scared him so bad that he ran from the room, from the theater, and never returned. <laughs> well, then. Forget about that paint job. You do it yourselves. Nebraska may be thought of as a place full of corn, but clearly, there are some spirits there, too. And you can make spirits from corn. <laughs> well, that is true. <laughs> Very true. Is the city of Lincoln in Nebraska haunted? That, that is for you to, to decide. decide. Well, some pleasant places to check out there in Lincoln. A lot of spirits like to hang out in the fields for sure. That Temple Theater would be a good place to go investigate. Definitely. We'd love to have you investigate our website at historyghostbump.com. And if you'd like to send us some feedback, you can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com or any of our various social media platforms out there. You can find us under History Ghost Bump. Cheryl and the crew said, listening to Phantasmal Crime 24 about Bonnie and Clyde, interesting fact, 
The couple were being chased from Greene County into Stone County. They turned onto a little country road in Reed Spring and encountered Uncle Indian Joe on his way to the store. They told him they were lost and ordered him to get in the car and show them the way to Arkansas. Uncle Joe told them to drive toward Cape Fair and then south to Arkansas. Well, the road they got lost on was Yoakum Pond Road. There's a cemetery on Yoakum Pond Road. My husband's father and much of his family are buried there. Added note, Yoakum Pond Cemetery has a pond that is haunted by a farmer and his mule and by Civil War soldiers. Just thought that was interesting. It is, especially since there's ghosts hanging out at that pond. Definitely. And during the episode when we were talking about the doll parts being reassembled, it reminded me of Cheryl McReynolds' post under one of the Halloween memes with the dolls carrying the body, you know, decorating your, oh, your yard with yeah. multiple, Scariest. multiple dolls. And yeah, Scariest and they looked like they were carrying a body. And her comment was, there are only a couple of no-nos when it comes to our Halloween decorating. I know that dolls was one of them. Yeah. There was something else too, but I can't recall. Cute. Kelly, a lot of us have been through the experience of losing our fur babies. And a lot of people share about that in the Spooktacular crew. Yes. And Jennifer had shared this. Our sweet old man left us almost two years ago now, and he was the best boy. He had a hard life before he came to live with us. We gave him the best 18 months, and he passed knowing he was loved. He used to have a love-hate relationship with the trash can in our living room, and he would knock it over any time he saw it. The morning after he died... We came downstairs and that darn trash can was knocked over. I just smiled and said to the empty space, Mama loves you too, Bo, and I always will. I'm crying even now as I write this. So a lot of people shared some of their personal experiences as well. Sarah said, My devil black cat Katie passed in 2014, and my sister, cousin, and I have seen her in mirrors. I'll hear random meows that don't sound like our current too. The animals keep staring at certain places where she would lay. My orange menace keeps playing with something I can't see, and Teddy was freaking out about it. I'm sorry, we've had that happen a couple of times, too. Karen shared, I'm so sorry, losing a fur baby is one of the hardest things to have to do. When our one cat passed, my son was small, and we were both devastated. I slept in his room that night, and we pulled two beds together to sleep close. Soon after we laid down, we both felt him jump up on the bed between us. Also, before he passed, we'd been taking turns holding him on our laps for a couple days, and our other cat stayed right there with us the entire time and wouldn't leave our side. Like she knew we all needed the support, but she disappeared right before he passed, like she didn't want to be there at the moment it happened. Then when she passed, she slept on my pillow all night the night before, which she usually didn't do. She always seemed to be psychic. Then a few years later, we had a white cat that passed, and I still see her occasionally in here. She had a very distinct run where she crouched low to the ground and looked like she was gliding. I catch a glimpse of her doing that still usually going towards the spot where her food bowl used to sit or headed to her hiding spot behind the couch. Ginger wrote, I'm so sad to read your news. We lost our cat Aldo to a car accident in 2021. Two nights later, I had such a vivid dream of him walking into our bedroom and brushing up against me. In my dream, I knew he was gone and I said to him, did you come to say goodbye? In this dream, I was crying as my vision was blurry like when you have tears. He meowed and sauntered out of the room. He came to say goodbye. Aldo loved jumping up on our stainless steel stove hood and watching us cook. We still see paw prints up there. Oh, my. Diane wrote, sorry for your loss. We had to let go of our beloved Chi-Chi. He was our first Chihuahua. We are now addicted to the breed. Shortly after him going over the Rainbow Bridge, I could swear I heard him walking across the kitchen. He had a distinctive walk. I took it as a sign to adopt. That was the one and only time I heard him. Carrie wrote, my husband's cat passed away nine years ago. 
Until we moved, I would still see her sometimes, and occasionally I could feel her laying on me. Shelley wrote, My sweet Keisha visits from time to time a fluffy black cocker spaniel, and my valentine, the calico kitty, comes sometimes. I can hear her purr. Jasper the buff and white cocker is always here and rolls tennis balls for Solo and Chewy to chase. Wow, she's got a lot of haunted pets hanging around. (laughs) Thank you to everybody for sharing that. I know... Uh, I think I posted underneath there that we think we've heard Savvy's collar rattle a couple times when, you know, dogs shake their heads and you can hear their collar rattle. Yeah. And I think I've heard her ears flap because when she would shake her head with those Vishla ears, they Big would smack ears. up cider. Yeah. <laughs> and you could hear it. Yeah. So that's how we know it's definitely her and not our other two dogs. We want to thank you guys for joining us on this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye bye. This episode is brought to you by our executive producers. Dispatches from the Grave Digger. First, we want to thank Amber Phillips for raising her contribution. We're going to be moving you into a garden crypt. And welcome into the cemetery, Kirsty Holland. We're going to be putting you under a marble headstone. And Tabor Kleza, I hope I said that right, K-L-U-Z-A. And Diane Wright, who spells her name with two N's. Both of you are going to be put into chest tombs. Thank you so much for supporting the show. We really could not produce History Goes Bump without the support of our executive producers. Sweet dreams. are quite a few variations raging from he's raging i mean you are talking about a shark i they do know seem to be kind of ragey they're vicious with vaulted polychrome tile 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 and next we have pen feet and next i can do it i can do it i'm doing it no i'm gonna do it <laughs> it's like us arguing over who gets to do the laundry or whatever cleaning it's great in our house we argue <laughs> over chores because it's like why did you do that i was gonna do it <laughs> and our final location here is the temple theater 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 <laughs> reminds me of my favorite disc jockeys in california mark and brian would do miniature theater <laughs> and they were little skits that they would always do. Well, at least they were saying it properly. There were no windows in the attic. Ex- there were not windows. Atticus. He had finished the first chair and walked across the attic to retrieve. To retrieve. Retrieve. He achieved another chair.